Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahochko, and joining me live from the 402. That's right, right? 402? Oh yeah, I'm not 531. No. Uh, (laughs) But uh, Haas Reuter is uh, joining me once again, as always, really. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this Wisconsin game that took place Saturday night. Haas, the game itself, I mean, outcome being what it was, was not what Husker fans wanted. I think, you know, when, when we're honest with ourselves, it's kind of what we expected. But at the same time, man, we there's so much that happened in that game that, you know, both good and bad. But I came away from Saturday night, Camp Randall, with a lot more positives fresh on my mind than negatives. Absolutely. Um, as we were saying before we started recording, there's nothing that I was discouraged about last night. You know, defensively, we'll get to that conversation in a bit, but we put up the most yards, 518 total yards, that Wisconsin's given up in a regular season game since uh, 2007. And they fielded some pretty damn good defenses in the past 11 or 12 seasons. So that's a, that's a huge you know, accomplishment. And we got a glimpse of just how much of the real deal Adrian Martinez is going to be going up against a Badger defense that while they're not the vintage Wisconsin units that they've had the past, you know, three or four seasons, they're still damn good. And uh, I think you saw this team take another step in the right direction, at least on the offensive side of the ball. It's funny. The way news broke last week, uh, you know, we didn't talk really about any of the departures. Um, but over the stretch of five days, Nebraska didn't have one loss, really three. Uh, Tyjon Lindsey uh, left the program, you know, asked for and was granted his release from his scholarship. And then a couple of days later, Greg Bell did the same thing. One of those really surprised me. And uh, that was Greg Bell because he was one of Scott Frost's first targets you know, and, and first signees, you know, to, to the the program when, when Scott Frost took over. And then it, it, I, I want to say this without, you know, slamming any of the players who have left, without, you know, sounding disrespectful. I've said it before, if, if you're 18, 19, 20, and you find maybe that where you're at's not the best fit for you, or you think the grass is greener somewhere else, you know, as far as schools and programs go, you know, good on you. I I do feel, though, that this is getting almost surgical. And, and again, I say this, it's going to come out, the, the way I'm going to phrase it is, is not going to be how, it's going to sound a lot more negative than I intend. But, that, you know, as far as cutting out cancer, and I'm not saying these guys were, you know, problems in the locker room or on the program or anything like that, but you've got to remove... Surgery's brutal. 
Yeah, exactly. You've got to remove all the bad before the healing can begin. And and again, I, I say that not to you know put down any of any of the guys who who have left, um, but you know you, you cut out a certain aspect and then the whole can get stronger. And that's that's the point that I'm that I'm you know trying to make. Um, I, I could go. Uh, can't I'm, I'm going to stick with cancer. I was going to be like wart removal, but that seems too minor. Uh, but uh, since we didn't really have a chance to talk about it, what were you, what's your take on on the two departures last week, especially Greg Bell? Since we heard heard about that one after we recorded our um, you know our preview with uh, uh, Bucky's fifth quarter. Well, I'll start with Ty John Lindsay. That was almost expected from the minute that. Riley was fired and Frost was hired. And then when you can, I don't mean to make light or, you know, trivialize the Rabdo situation back in January, but then, you know, that adds to it. And then, you know, his best friend and roommate, Tristan Jebbia transfers out. So it's just kind of a matter of time. And when guys upset with his reps and, you know, he's talking to his position coach after the Troy game, you know, his position coach, Troy Walters, you know, he, he's wanting, you know, he's wanting more, you know, opportunities to touch the football, but he's not really putting in the work, you know, in terms of blocking, you know, and we're not there, you know, date on a daily basis, obviously. So we don't know what it's like behind the scenes, but in games, he's not doing the little things, you know, in order to get opportunities, you know, Troy Walter says no block, no rock, you know, you don't block, you're not going to get the football. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of a matter of time. And it seemed a little uh, premeditated, kind of, dare I say, surgical in the sense that he transfers, you know, right after that four-game mark. And then he also transfers right before to Oregon State right before their cutoff date on adding classes, October 7th. And so, you know, kind of feels like we're being a feeder system for Oregon State. Yeah. We've lost our highest, you know, top three highest rated commits out of the 2017 class to the Beavers. You know, Tristan Jebbia, Avery Roberts, and now Ty John Lindsay. And I don't want to get too who can spook conspiratorial here on everyone, but this is the same Oregon State program that was, you know, outed by Hawaii's head coach, Nick Rolovich, back in the spring for actively recruiting active players at Hawaii to transfer to Oregon State, going so far as to send them Oregon State letterhead correspondence to the Hawaii football offices. Rolovich tweeted it out, you know, and kind of outed Oregon State for that practice. And Oregon State, you know, I don't know if they responded or if they tried to cite ignorance, but it's kind of becoming a certain situation where it's irritating. And I don't want to say, like, I don't know if collusion would be the right word, but there's definitely, it feels like there's something underhanded. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to get too conspiratorial. But in terms of Greg Bell, I'm really shocked by that because, you know, he doesn't have the greatest straight line speed, and but he's got, you know, elusiveness. He's got decent burst. He doesn't have good top end speed, though. And he looked like he had some of the critical factors of NFL tailbacks. And so, you know, he has that great performance against Colorado in the season opener despite the fumble. And then his carries start to diminish over time. 
Then you have the emergence of Divino Zigbo against Purdue going for 170 yards. And then Greg Bell goes on to say to ESPN that he felt like he earned the job and it was taken away from him. Well, you're earning that job every day. Right. Just like Ryan Held said, you know, it's it's not bought, it's rented, and rent is due every day. That'll be an everyday MF for, you know, to get it done, to hold on to your damn job. Got to bring the juice on a daily basis. So when he says that, it's kind of like, well, yeah, you were named the starter. Divino Zigbo begins to emerge. What are we supposed to do about a guy like Zig who works his ass off, doesn't complain, gets better? Are we supposed to say, oh, well, we named, yeah, we've always told you to work hard and, you know, you got to earn the job every day. But, you know, we named Greg Bell the starter back before the season started, so sorry. No. Like, football's a meritocracy. Sure. It's a what have you done for me lately, you know, sport, culture. So if Greg Bell wants to take his ball and go home because – Divino Zigbo outworked him. That's fine. But to do it on the day that you're flying out for a road game that you're heavy underdog against a division rival is irritating. And it's disrespectful to your teammates. Then it's disrespectful to your coaches. So it's just one of those adios, you know. Okay, you know, don't let the you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Thanks for your time. Is it, is it fair to say? And and I'm not smart enough, you know, as far as all the you know rules and everything else. But is it fair to say that perhaps transfer rules in the NCAA make it too accommodating for the player to just be like, ah, no, I'm I'm not happy here. I'm up and down. It used to be like you you almost had to at least. Maybe it's because I didn't pay attention. Maybe it's because I had no reason to pay attention. But, um, but you never heard of guys transferring. You know, you, so what's the word like for willy nilly? So yeah, you know whatever. You know, like I said before, you know the, the the grass is greener on the other side type of thing. What happened to the mentality of you know what? I'm not the starter, but by God, you know I, I'm gonna I'm gonna earn that spot. Is that? I don't want to blame a generation. You know, I don't want to be like, it's it's the everybody, it's the participation trophy generation. I'm, I'm not saying that, but is it is there something about today's college student-athlete that makes them feel, I, I don't know, entitled or makes them feel like they are, you know, they don't have to work as hard as the next guy? Well, you have to consider that college football is such a coaching centric sport players come and go every four or five years coaches are there longer term and so if a guy wants to you know if he feels like he's not being utilized or he's just not a good fit and he wants to move on like i think that restrictions should be lessened on him being able to move on that's why i think you know like the four game rule you know being able to reg play in four games and play in four games or less and preserve your red shirt's a great thing but um, I definitely think that from a mental toughness standpoint, I think guys are taking the easy way out, especially in the case of it's not like a guy like Greg Bell who's like, oh, I'm not a fit here. You know, they're switching offenses or, you know, if there was culture shock going from being a San Diego kid to living in Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, he came here. He said he's going to outwork everybody and become the starter and then. 
you know, he loses his job and he decides to go home. I mean, that's taking the easy way out. That's not a fit thing, right? cultural or schematic. So I think that the unintended consequence of that four-game rule has become that it makes it too easy for people just to pack it in and go where they find the grass to be greener. And, and I'm glad you, you used the phrase mental toughness because as soon as I turned the question over to you, that was the phrase that you know climbed into my head as well. It's just, I, I, I full disclosure, and I've, I've said it before, I'm not you know entirely athletic. In fact, I'm not at all athletic, uh, and I never have been. I knew my place on my baseball team in high school. Now, granted, it's a small town, small school. There were 82 kids in my graduating class. And even then, I was not the starter. I was not, you know, I, I was I was the 10-run kid. I played if we were up by 10. I played if we were down by 10. It's why, to this day, I'm still disappointed that they canceled the baseball game on my senior, the night of my senior prom because it was against the bigger and better school, and I would have had an opportunity to play. I'm like, hell with prom. I want to get in there when we're down 10, 15 runs and, you know, strike out or play left field or, you know, whatever, just just be on the field. But I knew my role. And, you know, I, I tried to, as, you know, to the best of my ability. I, I practiced as hard as the other kids. I just was not as gifted, you know, ath- athletically, physically as, as even some of the underclassmen. I get it. You know, I was slower. I'm fatter, you know. Anyway, but I knew my role, and I, I, I accepted it. If you're a D1 scholarship football player, you have the ability. The coaches see something in you to, you know, beat anybody else out on that, you know, on that roster for that number one spot. You just have to put in the work. And, you know, like you said, if, if you don't want to, put in the work or something like that you know if, if you feel slighted it's it's a little bit easier uh now to you know take your ball and go home so um i think we spent enough time on that probably more time than than i anticipated let's now turn to wisconsin to camp around because as we talked about at the onset of the show there were plenty of positives i want to start I mean, let's face it, mo- mo- most of the positives took place on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you want to start with number two or you want to start with number ten? Let's start with number two. It's the straw that stirs the drink. All right. And uh, that is, of course, uh, the 18-year-old true freshman Adrian Martinez who just played lights out. I've said it. I said it after the Colorado game that Martinez to Spielman is something that I look forward to hearing for years to come. And I think after, you know, I'm already jumping to number 10, but we'll, we'll you know, we'll touch more on J.D. In, in a few minutes. But I think after Saturday night at Wisconsin, Big Ten opponents are realizing what we saw in that Colorado game and how special uh, those two young men are and, and how dynamic they both can be. But you're right, Adrian Martinez, as the uh, uh, straw that stirs the drink, so to speak, was phenomenal. And, and I, I'm, I'm glad you, you, you shut me down because I, I said something uh, to you in, in a message during the game. I said, you know what, if, if Martinez was just a little bit more decisive, I think the offensive line would look a little bit better. 
And your response was? Oh, man, I got to go find it now. Oh, well, uh, here, I'll, I'll find it for you because I got it right here. Uh, right. Your response was, um, oh, oh, yeah, here we go. Um, I said our O-line is not good enough for Martinez to be as indecisive as he is. And you responded with Martinez is indecisive due to the OL offensive line pressure compounds his decision making. So, um, but still, Martinez racked up, I mean, yards through the air on the ground. Throw me that number, how many he had. I believe he had, I want to say, was it 370? Let Let me pull up the stats really quick because. I looked at him earlier this morning, and a lot of homework kind of got in the way of remembering sure. things. Well, while you so. do that, I can uh, officially say that Nebraska put up 518 yards of offense against uh, the Badgers, who were number 16 in the country. And uh, while you're looking up the, the Martinez. Here we go. Okay. Uh, he, Adrian threw for, oh, man, I don't want team stats. Come on. <laughs> Well, we know that he threw at least for 209 yards because that's what J.D. Spielman finished with on just nine catches. So when you do the math, that comes out to a pretty nice uh, yards per catch average. Yeah, Martinez was 24 of 42 for 384 yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean, that's, that's a man's game. Did get did get a little bit lucky on some of those passes that uh, by all accounts should have been intercepted. Uh, you know, sailed a few, uh, missed a few. Um, what I I think, and again, he's 18. As uh, you know, the the announcers Kevin Cooler and Jay Layman uh, announced, you know, talked about that. I think Stanley Morgan mentioned that he learned just this past week just how young Adrian Martinez was. He's 18. He is. Half my age, so putting that in perspective, I was graduating high school when he was born, give or take. You know the the time of the year. I'm, I'm class of 2000, but um, yeah. So he he was like you said, had a man's game. I think there were times where you know the camera angle only shows you so much; it doesn't show you everything downfield. But it looked like there were times where you know he was trying to look downfield for something that was open. And times like that, I just wish he would have tucked the ball and got, you know, four, five, six mm-hmm. yards. Um, I think it took him a little bit to settle into the flow of the game. Um, he was kind of, he was a little frantic to start against Wisconsin. But once he settled in, you know, it's a damn shame that we couldn't get some timely stops defensively because this game could have been, it could have been a much, could have been a much closer game and more of a shootout, you know, had we been able to get some stops and keep the points down, you know, for Wisconsin. As we look, I mean, the Wisconsin, you know, game day atmosphere is pretty intense. Uh, you know, they, of course, everybody knows about the jump around, but, you know, as uh, as Jake was telling us last week, I mean, they the, the student section gets a little rowdy and, uh, and you know, they shout obscenities, to each other. I mean, you know, from one part of the student section to the other. So uh, a very unique game day atmosphere. When you look at what's left on the uh, Nebraska schedule as far as away games, do you think that that is going to be 
the toughest atmosphere that they're going to have to face on the road the rest the remainder of the year yeah i think i think wisconsin probably the toughest ohio state comes to mind just from the sheer numbers standpoint mm-hmm. you know holding almost 100,000 people if not over 100,000 i'm not quite sure what their capacity is but um then you know we got that big road game at iowa on black friday but as most people know Iowa's always complained about that game because a lot of students go home for Thanksgiving and, you know, they're not there for it. So, (laughs) Iowa, I am playing the smallest violin in the world for you. Right. But, um, yeah, so I think Wisconsin's probably the most raucous environment that we'll see this year. And for an 18-year-old to walk in there and just kind of the gunslinger attitude, you know, let it rip, um, that spoke volumes. I mean, there were moments last night that, and I don't mean this, this is not hyperbole. If Adrian Martinez continues this progression that we've seen so far, just the, so far this season, I think it's a safe bet that he'll be in New York City at some point in his career for the Heisman ceremony. I mean, this, he might go down as our greatest quarterback of all time here, how he's playing as a true freshman. Now the 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 question that I'm going to tack onto that and and I'm famous, dare I say, infamous for putting the cart before the horse. Do you think? Do you think he's a three year player? You know, I want to say just because of the style of scheme. You know, I know the spread has proliferated into the NFL and. As someone who watches a lot of the NFL, I love the fact that the spread has gained a foothold and just keeps growing each year. But I kind of go on the Baker Mayfield route of staying in college for four years, minus the whole transferring thing. Yeah, well, we hope. Knock on wood. Oh, God. I would, if him or J.D. Spielman transferred, I would probably just like be in a depression for a few days. Let's talk. I want to talk about uh, Spielman, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, nine catches for 209 yards, had the long 75-yard touchdown where, I mean, he just got out in space and Martinez found him and he was off to the races. Beauty, a thing to watch. Husker fans knew about Spielman last year and he has only gotten better. I feel, this might sound crazy, I, I feel a little bit bad for Stanley Morgan uh, because... You know he's the senior. He he's supposed to be the you know the, I mean he is a leader. He's a captain, and I think if you asked him, he would say, you know what, we just got to keep competing. You know I'm, I'm I, I think Morgan's a team guy, um, but man I, f- I feel bad that he's almost you know taking a backseat to Spielman, and then I look at the stats and look at what Spielman did, and I feel a lot better. So yeah, and you know one thing too is there's such different receivers mm-hmm. you know they play the position so differently in terms of style jd well he's not you know doesn't have the straight line speed of a guy like tyree kill you know there's some similarities between their game um stan is more your possession receiver he can make big plays of course but i think it's great to have you know jd continues to emerge from what he did last year because there were points early last season, 17, when Stan was our only, really only reliable target. And sure. At, teams were just able to stifle the offense. And so when you consider all the different factors that we have, you know, 
you got a true dual threat quarterback, not a running back playing quarterback. We have a true dual threat quarterback. We have, you know, a guy in a Zigbo who can mash for tough yards in between the tackles. And then you got two really good receivers in Spielman and Stan on the perimeter and then a decent tight end and Jack Stoll. That's a lot of matchups for a defense to account for. It's just a damn shame our offensive line isn't any better because if they were even just serviceable, this would be just a ridiculously difficult offense to stop. And yet, even with our shortcomings, Frost is finding a way to scheme guys open, to find running lanes for Zigbo, to find running lanes on designed runs for Martinez. Like There was a play last night where we lined up with trips way outside the hash mark you know, and it was a designed quarterback run for Martinez just to keep off the zone read. There was no read. Like once he faked it to a Zigbo, he bent it back outside to be the lead blocker. And we picked up seven just like that. And I mean, we're finding ways to overcome shortcomings, but you can just imagine how much better it's going to be when we're serviceable up front. Can, can I make what I think is a bold statement and and if if it if it's too far out of line i i want you to you know smack me back into place and and this is also a homer statement at the college and professional levels so take it with a grain of salt you and everybody listening at home at work in the car wherever they may be listening you know who stanley morgan reminds me of and i hope has as much success at the next level I'm going to say Antonio Brown. Uh, I'm going to say Heinz Ward. Oh, I knew it was going to be a stealer. <laughs> I knew it was going to be a stealer. What, what, was, it, was it the homer call? that, that, that uh, I, I think Spielman's a little bit more uh, of the Antonio Brown just as far as athletic ability, but Morgan, to me, has that kind of toughness, that kind of – and I'm not saying, obviously, Spielman or, or Antonio Brown don't, but uh, has that, as you said, possession receiver kind of mentality – uh, they're both about you know comparable in size. Uh, uh, Morgan stands six one. Uh, Hines is six foot. Hines had a, f- a few more pounds on him in, in his playing days, about two ten. But obviously, you know, get to the next level and and uh, you know, Stanley Morgan's listed at two oh one, or at least according to Wikipedia. Um, so I, you know, there there's nothing. Re- I mean, let's face it, Hines Ward, it, I don't is a Hall of Famer. You know, so. That's, I don't think that's a knock on, on Stanley Morgan Jr. at all. I just think, you know, it. he could be that type of guy who, you know what, get, get you the may, – may not, you know, lead the team in, in yards or receptions, but he's always going to be steady. He's always going to be reliable. I think uh, the graphic that, you know, the Big Ten Network showed uh, after he caught a pass last night was 31 – I mean, thirty-plus rece- you know games in a row with a reception for Stanley Morgan. That's it's almost unheard of. Uh, oh, no. You know, so th- that 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 that's my basis of comparison. He's uh, proven, you know, not just with Martinez uh, or even Tanner Lee, but you know Tommy Armstrong as well. That you know he's a he's a reliable set of hands for you know essentially three quarterbacks now. So. Um, you know, I think that says a lot to him, and, and you know, he's got half a season plus here in, in Lincoln. But man, I, I hope that a, a team at the next level recognizes that 
and uh, uh, you know get, gives him an opportunity. If it happens to be Pittsburgh, hey, that's great. I would love for a change for one of my beloved Huskers to become a beloved Steeler because I'm tired of seeing them become Bengals or Patriots. Don't say a word, Hoss. Oh, yeah. um, so, mm. so, you know, I, I would love for a Husker to turn into a Steeler. Uh, you know, we, we just got to wait. We got to wait till April for that one. Uh, but anyway, uh, Stanley Morgan Jr., uh, reliable as can be, uh, a leader. I'm sure he was one of the players who, you know, talked to the team last week and, you know, started to, to you know, as, as Scott Frost said in the postgame comments, it was the, the best week of practice they've had. Uh, you know, the guys emerged as leaders, you know, and, uh, and the, the ship's starting, you know, the ship, the course, the ship is starting to ride its course. And as, as I think Frost said, the, the guys realize that they're close. Definitely. I, I got that feeling, you know, as the game got over with last night that we're getting closer to, you know, being really in a game. You know, I we've had close games against Colorado and Troy and Michigan's just damn good and Purdue's a good team, but you know, we're starting to grow up to the point of, you know it, that game should have not ended at forty two twenty eight. It should have been, you know, a one possession game or gone to overtime if we could execute a little bit better and the penalty discrepancy wasn't so steep. But after last night I just kind of felt like we took another step forward in what the you know what the desired look of this team sure. is going to be when you put up that many yards on a Wisconsin defense that has eaten your lunch on the offensive side of the ball the past three seasons. I mean to do that, and some people might say, "Oh, you know they'd called off the dogs as a garbage time." They had their starters in, yeah, as long as we had our starters in. You know they're still playing hard. They're still charging downhill like their hair was on fire. You know, Wisconsin's linebackers are still playing their balls off. So I, I don't want to hear the, you know, it was garbage time. We went out there and we were starting to execute. You know, it was a little too little too late, but, you know, Wisconsin, you know, they've got to be feeling like, wow, that offense, you know, next year is not going to be easy in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, we'll, we'll continue to build each game going forward, with the exception of that Ohio State game, because we're not doing – we're not doing much against Ohio State, so just you know, just a word of caution to people out there who, after we win the next three, call them a shot now, might talk themselves into thinking that we can beat Ohio State in this year. I uh, but after last night, I just want to finish this thought up. No, yeah, go for it. After last night, I was thinking to myself, you know, we're zero and five, got six games left, seven, and I was thinking about when we had that discussion with John. John Dam Johnson on Thursday night. And we were going through what games were winnable. It's not too far outside the realm possibility that we could finish six and six still. And some might think it's a fool's dream, some might think it's a pipe dream, whatever whatever axiom you want to use there. But you win, you know, you take care of business against Northwestern, and then you got Minnesota, Bethune Cookman, Ohio State, Illinois, Michigan State, and Iowa. It would not shock me if that Iowa game comes down to bowl eligibility for us. That's exactly you know a point that I, I made. You know, I, I first I thought it, during the game, you know, as, as I was, 
as excited for a loss, you know, it, after last or after Saturday night as as could be, because you know, like you, like Scott Frost, like anybody with a pair of eyes, I realized that you know the team's right there, you know, uh, and and we talked about the the penalties and ten penalties for a hundred yards. That's and some of them, you know, they they might only register, you know, ten yards you know, from the spot of the foul type of thing. When you look at the, uh, at the kick return that uh, uh, I think it was Washington or, or Spielman. Uh, anyway, yeah, Mo had yeah. that bullshit block in the back penalty. Wait, you know, and, and, and that, I mean, that really was more like a 55 or 60-yard penalty than a 10-yard penalty. But, mm. but uh, you know, I, the, the team is there. We clean up some of that stuff. I, look, Wisconsin did what Wisconsin does to a lot of teams. And that was they got out early, you know they got they took a lead early, and when Nebraska, I mean, I was encouraged as heck when they went down not once but twice, and defense held them to field goals, and yeah. I thought, okay, you know, I, I was joking in the slack room. I said, all right, this is the time, this is the time we're going to march down, score, and we're not going to look back, and it didn't quite work that way. Um, but then Wisconsin again, what they do, what they're famous for, is they're going to run the ball. They're going to manage the clock. I've I've seen it, you know, we we've all seen it before, and that's exactly what they did. I don't think Northwestern has the ability. Minnesota doesn't have the ability to necessarily do that. But you could tell middle of the third quarter and on that our defense was gassed, uh, and it might have even been earlier. I mean, there's more work to do, you know, in in the weight room, uh, you know, in strength and conditioning and cardio things like that to keep our boys from you know, uh, getting in it. Some of it's probably a depth issue as well. But I thought this towards the end of the game. I say, you know what? We're going to a bowl. I could foresee, you know, and this was before you mentioned it, but yeah, I could foresee that the only loss left on our schedule is at Ohio State. And that's running down the same schedule. I'm not going to repeat the schedule, but those are all games that, in my opinion, are not just winnable, but should be won. And how sweet it would be on Friday, November 23rd, 11 o'clock mm-hmm. kickoff from Iowa City, Iowa. There are a few people who are going to get that joke. Um, My great grandfather. That's how he said Iowa. <laughs> I only know that from uh, uh, watching The Music Man way back as a kid in. Anyway, also on my Amazon Prime. Don't judge me. Uh, but uh, that, and and then you're going to have a team that started 0-5, who is now 5-6, and 6, on the verge, on the verge, Hoss, of a bowl game. You don't think they're going to come out day after Thanksgiving fired the hell up? I know they will be, because they will have oh, turned man. their season around like that. I could see, I could foresee that, you know, us coming out, you know, full of juice, you know, as the expression goes in football. Uh, you know, you call it, some get, call it that, juice. If that doesn't get your piss hot, I don't know what does. You know, the, the prospect of beating Iowa in Iowa City to go to a damn bowl. Oh, I, I'm getting chills thinking about it. Uh, let's. You know, I, I want to say real quick, from time to time, I'm not – saying i'm a soothsayer because i'm not i i I lack foresight at times you know more often than not but back in like 05 i remember 
thinking that we were going to go into Boulder and beat Colorado 20 to 18. And that was the 30 to 3 game. It ended up being much better than 20 to 18. But I remember people thinking that I was just crazy for saying that. No, no, not going to happen. You know, today when I was thinking about some of the stuff that we need to talk about on the podcast, I just kind of had this like feeling like I could totally see Black Friday being, you know, one of the damn cold days where there's not a cloud in the sky. And I could just see that game going to overtime and Adrian Martinez putting the nail in the coffin in overtime on a quarterback dart up the middle to win something like, you know, 31-28, you know, maybe 35-31, something like that. And it just was like something just felt right about it. There have been, But maybe that's just in a homer. There have been no less than three instances, and full disclosure, I don't think it's happened yet in a Husker game, but there have been no less than three instances where watching my team, the Steelers, I have called out a, a you know, having no, obviously prior not watching the game live, I'll make a statement to my friend who's there in person, I'd be like, you know what's going to happen now is a turnover. And I'll never forget that the, the most joyous time that it happened for us was AFC Championship in 2009 against the Ravens when Troy Polamalu uh, had the pick. And that solidified the Steelers' win. Of course, they all went on to uh, win the Super Bowl. It was a magical time. Um, so, I, I, of course, I say a lot of things you know, in the Slack chat room like, no, we could really use now as a turnover, and then it doesn't happen, or it happens a quarter and a half later when it doesn't matter nearly as much. But uh, I like, I like the stance that you have taken. I hope that it doesn't go to overtime. I hope that Iowa is not. Well, any- I want to blow them out. That's what I'm saying. I would love nothing more than to, for a dagger to be twisted on Iowa fans. So let's talk about that Husker defense. Because I don't know if we expected more out of the defense, uh, you know, from Eric Chenander's uh, schemes or styles or coaching or personnel. We've got guys who I truly believe are playing balls out, uh, and it's not a knock on them. It's just you know they're they're just not there yet. We're yeah, we're just not there yet. Um, we're missing some key pieces. We don't have a pass rusher. Um, we need some better downhill. We need well. Here's the thing: we need lineback inside linebackers who are more downhill players, and we need outside linebackers who can cover. You know, drop into coverage, rush the passer, contain the run. We need cover corners. So a lot of it is a lot of our problems are athletes. We need piece key pieces. Did you Shenander's defensive play calling has also hurt us at times. Like Alex Davis carrying a seam route from the slot receiver, you know, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Did you see somebody on Twitter talking about personnel and such? Uh, I can't remember exactly who it was, and I'm not going to go, you know, give them. I'm not going to go look it up. I wish I could, you know, recall it quickly. But someone on Twitter after the game or maybe this morning – uh, said something like, "You know what? Our uh, our offense. Looking at our offense, it's going to be fine. 
let's use every available scholarship and bring in talent on the defensive side. Great in theory, but I think we all know what happens when you let a position go a little unattended or neglected for a little while, and they don't have any depth at the damn position. Yeah. I I do think that this recruiting class, when it shakes out both with the early signing period in December and then the regular one in February, I think it'll be very heavy with defensive players, pass rushers and cover corners, as well as offensive linemen. You know, as far as linebackers go, we already have, you know, some nice pieces already committed. Nick Henrich, Jackson Hanna, and I'm drawing a blank on the last linebacker that we have committed. I, uh, the one I from Scott's know. Bluff? Yes, Garrett Nelson. Thank you. And uh, Rip those so state boys. Y- you, got, you got pieces there coming in, and so – and then it come, turns over into development. But right now at UCF, oh, excuse me, just had a really weird hiccup. <laughs> at UCF, Chenander's defense was not great. They were good enough, but they weren't great. But the thing was that the offensive firepower that UCF had, they could overcome any defensive gaffes. We're not there yet offensively. Right. So every mistake is compounded a little bit more. So – we, we've got some work to do defensively. I know a lot of people say, ah, oh, fire Shenander, you know, you know, tar and feather him, you know, all that stuff. There'd be no logical point in firing him after year one. The only thing that you're doing is you're bringing in another DC, and some of these guys will be on their fourth defensive coordinator in four years. Right. So he'll get two years, you know. And I think you'll see a big jump from the defense in year two. And much like I think the offensive line will also be a lot more serviceable in year two. So just I don't believe in moral victories. Um, I've always hated the notion of them. I think that at the end of the day, you either win or you lose. But increment, I do believe in incremental improvement. And last night was another increment in our improvement. And so... I don't feel bad about this one at all. I mean, I wish we would have gotten more stops. I wish we could have gotten a better push up front on the offensive line. But there was a lot of things to be encouraged about. So it's going to be interesting moving forward. I just wanted to mention watching Wisconsin's offensive line mow us down at the point of attack. I was very jealous. (laughs) I mean, I, I was wincing and wanting to look away because it was so painful to watch. But from just a clinical football standpoint of being an O-line guy. It was, you know, like, wow, damn. You know, it was. they were just mowing us down. Let me ask you this, since we're talking about offensive line and recruits and such. It was, I don't know if announced, or it was at least stated that... Cam Jurgens? Yeah. Let, let's talk about it. Wish, my wish has come true. All right, so let's talk about that. Because obviously he, he signed... You know, as a tight end, uh, the Beatrice uh, product, Let, let's talk a little bit about, especially why you say your wish has come true. Well, you know, when I was at the coaches clinic in March of 2016, and I was having lunch with a friend of mine at uh, is it Bison Witches. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Bison Witches. 
and have a few beers in between clinic sessions when we were just talking recruiting and O-line personnel and stuff like that. And we were, you know, we got on topic of Cam Jurgens. Well, at first it was the topic of the now departed, you know, he's not dead, but he left the program, Matt Snyder. Oh, yeah. And how, you know, he should develop into an offensive tackle, not a tight end. So we got in the conversation to how, like, Iowa always turns tight ends into really good offensive linemen. And so Cam Jurgens' name got brought up. And we were talking about how, you know, he might be a good tight end, but he could be a great offensive lineman with that kind of explosive athleticism. And he's already 270 pounds. And so we started talking about how footwork as a tight end, as a basketball player and a great track athlete, would translate over to offensive line play. And if he's that got that big of a frame already, you can probably pack another 35, 40 pounds on him, get him up around 300 pounds. And then from there, it's just been looking at guys like Jason Kelsey for the Philadelphia Eagles, who was a high school tight end and played center in college. And you know now look him in the NFL. He's one of the best centers in the league. Sure. And so that kind of, if you can get that kind of inherent natural athleticism and explosiveness, bulk a guy up, and put him at that center position with as much as Frost to pull the center in this offense, we could have a, a Remington Award winner in Cam Jurgens. That's a. Uh, I'm really glad that we took the conversation that way. You know what I like hearing from you, Haas, is hmm. talking about all these young guys who, you know, obviously they need to continue their progression, their improvements, you know, doing everything right, did the little things right. But when you say we could have a Remington Award winner, when you talk about Adrian Martinez, be like, I could see him sitting in New York. That that optimism, that type of hope, needs to be heard by Husker Nation. It needs to put smiles on their faces, uh, and the people need to to you know pump the brakes on on kicking everybody out of of Lincoln, you know, so quick. And and you know we've said it all along. Scott Frost said it. You know, he said, "Hey, it's it's not going to be an overnight thing." Um, and at the time, I think some people rolled their eyes like, "Oh, here we go. He's he's building himself in, a, you know, a, a grace period." But I mean, think about it. Think of everything that has happened since the end of November of 2017. Just you know, when when everybody thinks about immediately after that Iowa game and where we are now we'll say 10 and a half months later you have had an insane amount of attrition you have lost an entire staff brought in an entire staff you've also brought in some really great athletes and you know guys who want to play for scott frost everything is going to click if people look at that second half of that wisconsin game especially on the i tell you what if you take the defensive side in the first half and especially how they were just able to you know hold Wisconsin early to some field goals before they you know eventually got wore down but you take the offensive side in what the offense was able to accomplish in the second half uh, when you when you combine those you've got to see that the pieces are starting to come together and if that doesn't get you excited as Husker fans then you're you're cheering for the wrong team if, if you just want to sit and be miserable all the time uh I don't know, man. Go cheer for Iowa. Um, That's a miserable existence right there. You, I'm telling you. Um, so you can either have hope 
or not. And I'm I'm going to be the hopeful guy. You know, I'm the eternal optimist. And uh, uh, this, this is, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a Scott Frost ride or die, die die right. How, how does that work? Ride or die. Okay, did I, I, I I'm old. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. I'm glad you're you're here with your youthful uh, knowledge to to you know correct me when I'm when when I need correcting. But here's the thing, and we've said it before: if you run Scott Frost and Company out of out of town, you're not getting anybody else, and the program will be stagnant. Will remain stagnant. Will remain irrelevant. If you let Scott Frost and Company do their thing, as we're seeing, the pieces are starting to fall into place. The players. Are starting to get it. Uh, I have to. T- I'm not there, you know, at practices. I have to take, you know, Coach Frost's word that this past week of practice was the best week that they've had. I have to, you know, take the players at their word that everybody's getting it, you know, quote unquote, and and uh, you know, putting the pieces together. And then I have to see the product on Saturdays. And what I saw from Wisconsin left me highly encouraged for the future. It's still. You know, there's still going to be bumps in the road. We still have to go to Ohio State in a month. But I'm so encouraged that this team is going to go bowling after the 0-5 start. Nobody would have seen it coming. Uh, and you're going to hear, you've heard it here. Haas and I believe that that Iowa game is going to be the uh, the pinnacle of, of uh, achievement for this Husker squad. It's going to be the game that gets them to bowl eligibility. And I have, I don't know if you saw this in the, the Slack chat room, Hoss, but I now have a deal with our very own Rick Cohn. And for every win that the Huskers get besides Bethune-Cookman, he is going to home make, freeze, pack and dry ice, and overnight me homemade runs. For every oh, win. Hell yes. Every win I thought we were just going to do like a, a runs of, you know, like I said, I'll take that bet, you know, because, you know, if, if they don't get, you know, six more, it was just when we were talking specifically about bowl eligibility. And he, he, he must have not been feeling it uh, Saturday night. He's like, he's like, I'll bet you a runs of every game that you claim is a win that's not a win. I'm like, all right. I said, how much, how much potentially or, you know, five runs is going to cost me? He's like, no, no, no. He said, I'll home make them and I'll send them to you in December. Okay, twist my arm a little bit more, Rick. Um, well, Rick better get busy. He better get that apron on. <laughs> and uh, I wonder if I can special order them. You know, be like, uh, uh, for one, let's do ground pork. Uh, for one, I want cheese. Uh, for one, I want uh, special cheese. cheese. I don't know. I don't know. Beef but, cheek. Yeah, there we go. Uh, you ever have that? What's that? You ever have beef cheek? Beef? No, that's not sound familiar to me. Oh, it's good. I had, I had some beef cheek tacos down south of Omaha last week when I was down there, and oh man, they were good. I um, I'm gonna throw this one out at you. It's a weird one. It's not something I ever had, but my dad would, and that's pig's feet. Pig's feet? Yeah. Never had them. He, uh, I mean, he said you, you it, it's, I, I. I I haven't seen him make it in probably 20 years, which is probably good. It's probably why, you know, uh, knock on wood, he's still with us and going to be with us for a long time because it's not very healthy-looking meal. Um, but, uh, 
I'm going to have to ask my dad about that sometime. You just make it, you put it in a pie pan, and you, you cook it, but then you chill it. And uh, I'm probably grossing some people out now. But I got to say, doesn't sound any more unappetizing than chili over a cinnamon roll, Hoss. Oh, I was eating that last night. And that's why we lost. Oh, no. But I mean, <laughs> it's sad that the first time I ever had chili and cinnamon rolls was the Melvin Gordon 408 game. And what and, uh, did we learn from that experience, Hoss? Uh, well, I learned that chili and cinnamon rolls are very good. But, uh, you know, every time I eat them, I think of Melvin Gordon running in the snow. Kind of, I feel like John Facenda from NFL Films should be narrating that. Melvin Gordon running through the snow. Well, in that Ryan case... Ryan Reuter eating chili and cinnamon rolls. I, I would think that because of that, you would not want to eat chili and cinnamon rolls. Oh, I mean, I, I, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious, so uh, <laughs> you right. know, I'm Michael surprised <laughs> uh, I didn't develop an aversion to it as well. I uh, mean, like, I wear the same hat. You know, I'll buy a hat every couple of seasons, and I'll wear it through every game, you know, until I decide to buy a new hat. And usually I buy them a new hat um, before the first season of a new head coach, like I explained, you know, a while mm-hmm. back on here. But um, – I am not like Robert De Niro on Silver Linings Playbook superstitious. <laughs> I, uh, I've got to say this just because it explains a lot between, you know, my fandom and my dad's not so fandom. Uh, and, and not, not, I mean, he's not a Husker fan, but, uh, you know, he, so I, my wife worked uh, Friday night, Saturday night. So she comes home Saturday morning, tired, wants to go to bed. I said, all right. I said, I'm going to take. Our son, I'm just going to take him out of the house so he's not running all around screaming. You can get some rest. So threw him in the in the van, took the van, and, uh, you know, ran through. Man van. What's that? Man van. That's right. And uh, he was watching cars or something like that in the backseat. He, he was happy as can be. Went through the car wash, went to the gas station, filled it up, went out to my folks' house. They're not home, so I text them, like, y'all aren't home. And my mom says, no, we're at, you know, your niece's last soccer game. I said, all right, I'm on my way. It's 10 minutes you know, away. So I get over there. I'm wearing my only Husker T-shirt. It says Go Big Red on the front and big white letters on the back. It's, it's, it's a red T-shirt, but it's it got the Husker N on the back. And my son is wearing this awesome little Huskers jersey that my wife found for him, uh, just his size. And my dad's like, oh, you're still wearing that shirt, huh? I was like, yeah, why wouldn't I? He's like, well, you know, they're not good. I said, that doesn't change my fandom any, Dad. I said, in fact, I, bought, uh, I ordered two more shirts this morning. So I've got two more Husker shirts coming. And, uh, folks, when I get them, you will see them. I'll be uh, brandishing them. And uh, I we went after uh, the soccer game. We went to this little country market and uh, orchard called Eckert's. If you're in the Belleville, Illinois area, you probably know what it is in fact if you're in the missouri or illinois area we had i saw a lot of uh license plates that were from out of state they do like you can pick your own apples and you know go through the pumpkin patch and pick your own pumpkins and whatnot anyway we're in the we're in the market part and a lot of husker fans and a lot of them said go big red and uh and one of them commented and complimented uh my boy's little jersey so it was it, is it lawrence phillips jersey no it just says uh, it's it's like uh, predominantly red with black sleeves, and they have the old uh, you know Husker script uh, on the sleeves, and it says it's got a number one on it. Um, Lawrence Phillips. I mean, it's just a, a number. I don't know. If, I, I I don't think it was. Yeah, but every time I see the number one, I'm just like Lawrence Phillips. Gotcha. 
I was gonna say I think it's just uh, you know because he's number one in our hearts and our play and and our uh, um, what's the uh, uh, programs and our hearts, Hoss. So I, I botched that completely. Um, <laughs> anything else that you got? Like I said, we're uh, highly encouraged moving forward. Northwestern's going to be tough slash fun, and later this week we'll be talking with somebody from uh, Northwestern's SBN site and getting a little insight into uh, uh, into all the shenanigans that are taking place in Evanston because there's always shenanigans that's by Chicago, and they don't know anything but sh- shenanigans in Chicago. So, Haas, anything else that you have for this episode? Well, if we get a W on Saturday, and since I'll be in Evanston, for the game, I'll probably get into some shenanigans myself. I'll probably eat enough Chicago-style pizza, you know, eat my weight in it, and I'll probably drink enough beer to fill up Lake Michigan. So Goose Island is a good beer that you could find up there. As far as Chicago-style pizza, it's good, but, man, it doesn't take much to fill you up. Just gonna say I'm that. something of a pizza murderer. I've murdered many pizzas in my time. So uh, I'll let, let's see if I can get past three slices of deep dish. It's uh, it's pretty phenomenal stuff. Um, I, I'll uh, I'll send you uh, now. You're probably not going into downtown proper. No, I'm staying in downtown. Oh, okay. I will. I'll send you some uh, uh, some pizza places because I know of a couple of good ones. Um, well, First time I've ever been to Chicago, so I'm looking forward to it. I've been there twice, uh, and those are both stories for off air. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so that'll do it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast, everybody. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you uh, interacting with us on social media, be it Facebook or Twitter. Uh, Haas did have the reins a little bit. Uh, I just didn't didn't see much from him on the old uh, Twitter sphere on the Five Heart Podcast uh, Twitter. Haas, or my own, really. What happened with there, buddy? Uh, I just, you know, I was I I was watching the game with a bunch of people and you know talking, about, you know, strategy in between plays and. I totally forgot that I had access to the five heart one. I tweet a few things from my personal account, but it's locked. You know, the joys of being a practicum teacher candidate. Of course. So I have to clean up the social media a little bit. We'll peek behind the curtain to everyone. But, um, yeah, I'll have to, I'll, I'll, trust me, I'll tweet a lot from the five heart account when I'm in the city of broad shoulders on Saturday. I can't wait. It's going to be so exciting. Yes. Right. This upcoming weekend, Haas and I will be in the same state. And uh, we'll be no closer to one another, I mean, theoretically, than we are when he's in Nebraska. I mean, yeah, there's a few hours less of a drive, but he's already said he's not driving this far south. He doesn't want to deal with the humidity, and quite frankly, I don't blame him. Uh, But (laughs) that'll do it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. For my good friend, fellow Husker fan and broadcast buddy, Haas Reuter, my name is Greg Mahochko. We enjoy uh, and appreciate that you listen to the show, and hopefully you enjoy it and uh, share it on your Uh, social media so other people can find it and enjoy it as well and we remind you this week and every week that five heart is all the heart you need go big red win a damn game this is a production of the jittery monkey podcast network for more jittery shenanigans go to jitterymonkey.com (laughs) 